0: Today on Gifted Autonomy. We're talking creative empowerment, purpose, and collaborations with your feelings and your concerns. Be gifted. Be enlightened. Be a part of Gifted Autonomy. Welcome to Gifted Autonomy, where our goal is to let underrepresented creatives shine in a safe space. Today, we're here with another super intriguing interview featuring Canadian Canadian author Marlena Guzowski. Now, you might have read about Marlena's Terra Nova series on Yahoo News, or I even saw an article on iHeartMedia News, but we are so very honored to have her featured on our show today, and I know you guys are just as excited as I am, so we'll just jump right into our interview today. So Marlena, give us some background about yourself and, and how you got started on your journey to becoming a published author.
1: Um, so this is a long story. Just move me along if it's getting too long. Okay. Um, I, I actually did uh, I didn't know what I wanted to do when I was in high school. I actually did pre-med in university. Um, and then halfway through I realized that I really hate science. And like writing, um, so I finished my bachelor's and then went on to do a, um, a master's of like English education. Um, and at that time, I also married my husband, who was in the pre med program with me, and he did end up becoming a doctor. And when he finished med school, we're kind of at that point like we had been literally eating craft dinner just to get through med school, <laughs> and um, we were just so tired and you know, like you just want to bust out, you you want to have fun. We weren't ready at all to settle down. So he was offered like a permanent position. And we looked at each other and we're like, no, let's just travel. Um, so we basically found places in the world where he could work with his Canadian medical license. And like we ended up moving from Ottawa, up north, like near the Arctic Ocean. We did a three-year stint there. Then we moved to Dubai for three years. Then we moved to Milan for three years. And by that time, we had had our son who was autistic. And it was kind of, he was getting a little older and he needed support. So we thought, okay, it's time to come back to Canada. Um, Through that time, so my husband was always working as a doctor, And I just ended up, I would like, we would land in a country and I would just look for a job and I ended up getting into writing, um, but it was all nonfiction. So I did um, editing for a newspaper. Then I actually worked for a bilingual Arabic English publication in Dubai. Um, So I was the editor in chief there. And I loved, I loved writing and I knew I loved it, but it was, it was a big jump going from nonfiction to fiction. Mm-hmm. So that took me a number of years because just the language is so different. Um, and it's all coming from your head, not from what you see, right? Mm-hmm. So it, it was kind of a process. It was like traveling around the world and trying to write a book.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay. So that's, um, yeah, I think I wrote about two half books before I finally finished a book. Oh,
0: wow. Okay. So that's very interesting. I didn't know about your your travels before. So I I wanted to ask how do you feel like your travels really influenced your creativity because I know you probably got to see different culture, different, you know, ways of life, even different down to different probably animals. So how do you <laughs> think that influenced um, your writing?
1: I am um, honestly, I actually I was talking with someone about that the other day because you know how you hear about like authors who basically seclude themselves for years and that's all they do is they write they, they don't really like talking to people that that's their life is like sitting alone in some cottage in the woods and I don't actually know how people do that because for me it It's like writing is related to the world I live in, right? Even if it's fantasy, Mm -hmm. it's based on people's personalities. Like, you have to know people to be able to write about people. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, traveling around the world, definitely, I think it really helps bring characters to life because you do meet Mm -hmm. a lot of different people. And we didn't travel as tourists. We worked there, right? So we really got into every culture we were in, Mm -hmm. which was really helpful. Okay.
0: and mentioning characters, that's that's another thing I wanted to touch on, because in reading the, the articles that you were featured in, they talked a lot about these, you know, really big type ultra creative characters. So can you tell us a bit more about your novel as far as the like synopsis, of course, but then also, you know, where did you take inspiration from directly for these um, super creative characters that you come up with?
1: Um, okay. So like, I'll start with the synopsis. Um, honestly, I suck at synopses. I don't know why it's really hard. I can do a synopsis of someone else's book, but to do one of my own book, it's like, I'm too close to the source, you know? Oh,
0: yeah.
1: Um, but so I, I hate comparing my book to twilight because there are, that's, that's what people think of initially always when I say it is about vampires, but it has like nothing to do with twilight. Um, Basically, it's parallel universes. I think because my background was science, I like the concepts like of, of parallel universes of more than one existence, you know, where you have planes of existence that kind of overlap each other. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's such a good possibility that we are living in a world like that. Um, so that's always kind of in my head. So with, what this book is is basically, it's about us in our world. But then there's a world that's parallel to this world, which is kind of... So our worlds are a mishmash of each other because ideas and thoughts kind of travel between. We can't see each other, but there's, there's I guess, in a sense, feelings that we get from each other. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so this other world, I don't want to spoil it, but basically it is all vampires. It is just an entire vampire world. So the concept is like how... I guess I used to love vampire movies as a kid, but my Mm -hmm. thought was always, okay, if if you have vampires and they spread that quickly, they would just take over. Right. Right. Like you wouldn't have a world with just a couple vampires. I mean, if every time they bite someone, that person turns into vampire, that's going to be exponential. Like within a year max, your entire country is going to be just a vampire.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. So at that point... Um, because they are still intelligent they still have human thoughts and whatnot how would they build society so how would they restructure the whole world for them to live so now they've kind of created a new species Mm -hmm. so that's what it's based on it's this entire world that is just vampires but then of course the worlds kind of open up to each other
0: yeah and that's it's, it's super interesting because I've always been fascinated with science fiction. And like you were saying, kind of otherworldly figures, time travel. Um, I actually published a book last year called Autoscopy. And, and it's about, basically, um, it's definitely about time travel, but then kind of about like a, like a outer body experience. That's why it's called Autoscopy. And when you were talking about, you know, different planes um, of time that that's what really interested me so what drew you I know you said that you had a background in science um, what drew you to that specific genre is it was it because you had that background or like you said did you grow up watching vampire movies <laughs> and were <you> fascinated? <laughs>
1: I, I honestly don't know. Like, um, I'm sure you have favorite genres too. It's like, why do we love the things we love? Right. Mm-hmm. I, um, I love fantasy, um, science fiction. Cause this book, I wouldn't say is it's very light science fiction. Mm-hmm. I like science fiction when it's not too heavy. Right. Once you get into all the descriptions of just technology, you lose me mm-hmm. <laughs> like I'm done. Mm-hmm. Um, I uh, because I I like science fiction when it's more about the the like, not the humans or the species involved in it more about relationships. And you know what I mean? Structure of society, not about the technology. Mm -hmm. Um, I've always liked it. I really can't tell you where it started. I think probably if you write as well, you're probably the same as me. Um, I'm just guessing you're probably like, kind of a little dorky on the inside, like (laughs) me. me. I think all writers are, Mm because we we live in a world inside our heads, right? Mm -hmm. And um, I mean, I I work in mostly executive positions, but I'll be there in like a management meeting and I'll just be looking at people and imagining what they would look like as alien species. Mm -hmm. Don't tell them that, but (laughs) it's just, it's always there in my head. Yeah.
0: Definitely. I'm I'm more of a, I guess, kind of an um, observer. But I'm doing it in order to, you know, flesh out characters or something that I want to develop later on. So I, I completely understand what you're saying. Yeah.
1: And I mean, the observation is huge, right? When you talk about, like, fleshing out characters, that's the thing. I read some, I'm terrible with names, but I, I read some famous authors, basically, quote, where he was talking about this, that being a writer is almost like being a human psychologist, because you're just watching people intensely, like you're not checking out their outfits. Mm-hmm. It's like you're watching what every action means, mm-hmm. right? Right. Mm -hmm. Like you see people and how is their like hand gesture related to their facial expression and related to what they're saying and what is the why behind what they're doing? Mm -hmm. Like you're, it's like, you're constantly kind of secretly staring at people, (laughs) (laughs) but it's, that's to me, how we make characters alive, right? Like back to what I was saying, I don't know how you could seclude yourself from people completely, but write about people Mm -hmm. because creating characters is based on knowing people and how they work inside Mm -hmm. that's true
0: I think you have to have like you said that interaction and and interact with different types of people especially in order to get that character development but I am I guess I am guilty of having to kind of once I have all of what I want to write and I sometimes I make an outline um, I'll take that back and I do kind of have to be in a Somewhat isolated state, <laughs> in order to you know get all of that on the computer or on paper, um, and actually start forming the storyline. Um, so I, I can kind of understand it. I understand both sides really,
1: and I, I totally get that too. Like um, I've I've read advice, you know, on how to balance writing, how to write every day, because you know you always feel guilty of not writing enough, mm-hmm. but. When people say, okay, you should write for 45 minutes a day, every day, just make that schedule. That doesn't work for me at all because mm-hmm. I need to, like, I I need that block of time because it takes me half an hour to 45 minutes to get in that zone, mm-hmm. you true. know, so I get what you're saying. Like, I need to kind of separate myself from the living species as well. Like, I, I need to go and be alone for at least three, four hours if I'm going to get any writing done.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and that that leads me to another question of how you protect your peace of mind to stay in a creative zone with all of the noise of life. You know, with everything that's going on. I know you said that you also have a family. So, how do you kind of protect your peace of mind to stay, I guess, in sync with your creativity?
1: I don't. I cry. <laughs> I cry daily. I'm joking. <laughs> actually um my my husband is amazing right because um like I mentioned our son is special needs and that I mean we always say he that one kid is pretty much the equivalent of three non-special needs kids Mm -hmm. because he just always needs something um so my husband I think listened to this podcast where he got this idea from a couple years back and Then he brought it to me. He's like, we should make a marriage contract once a year. And I was like, what the hell? Um, But it's actually like, it's not like a legal contract. We just sit down sometime around New Year's and we go over it and change what we want to change. But it's based on um, what we individually want to accomplish that year. Mm -hmm. So it's like you have to be really honest with yourself. And then you have to be brutally honest with your partner um, because it's like it's about you. What do you want out of life that isn't related to this marriage? Mm -hmm. And then we kind of spill that on the table. And then we say, okay, how can we help each other accomplish that? Mm -hmm. So, and we change that every year, right? Because goals change. So for now, like I'm doing my doctorate as well. So we, we kind of have an arrangement with my husband where one entire like evening, as in if I finish work at five, I do not even have to come home. That entire evening is mine. I can go wherever I want to go and I will just do my own things, which is usually writing. Um, and then I also take one day off of work to do that. And um, we also have like additional things we've added. So, cause we don't have a lot of family where we live, so we can't take that much time away without our son. Um, so we split, like we kind of split holiday time. We have family holiday, then we have like holiday, just me and him where grandma comes over And then we each get two weeks per year where we can just leave. (laughs) Yeah. So I, and that's, it's totally your choice where you go, what you do. So like I can do two girls trips and literally sit on the beach for two weeks. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. Or I can go rent a cabin and write for two weeks. It really doesn't matter. Um, So we kind of plan those times and we put that in our little contract Mm-hmm. and it really is it's it's about our marriage but how to stay happy in it right because we're both individual people and it's not just about being married um if i'm miserable cuz my life isn't going where i want it to go i'm not i'm not going to be happy with him yeah. um and i really you know i think he's awesome for knowing that too that we each have to accomplish individual things to be happy
0: mm-hmm.
1: So that's, yeah, I would say he's the hugest part of that. If I didn't have him to help me balance that, to like take that time for myself, it would be really hard. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, I'd leave his butt. <laughs> I don't know what I gonna do. Wow. That, that's,
0: so that's really he's, Yeah, he's pretty idea, awesome. The whole marriage contract concept. And I think it's something that married people listening to this should, should probably definitely mirror or or their their own version of it. And, and really take note, because I believe you just probably saved some marriages here. <laughs> that that said is so in my vital. contract,
1: I'm like half a year away from you.
0: It's like, like it is so. It, that really is vital, though, because it incorporates you know giving your spouse space, but then also giving them support and you know knowing their goals, so you're not stepping over those, or they don't feel like you know they're being supported in what they want to do personally. So I think I think that's an amazing idea
1: like seriously so I appreciate you sharing that with us you know I think like it's sometimes you talk to moms and you like as a mom you always have all this guilt that you're supposed to give everything up for your kid and what if you have your own goals and you're kind of you know let's say you get a babysitter because you want to do something on your own or you know you want to go away for a week without your child it's like you feel like this horrible mother Mm -hmm. but and may- maybe I'm selfish, I don't know. But the way I see it is because I've seen these moms that sacrifice everything for their kids, every moment of their lives. And honestly, they're usually very miserable moms. Yeah. Like they're they're not happy, right? And then they're trying to live their dreams through their kids, which is not healthy for their kids. Mm-hmm. So for me, I know that in order to be a good mom, I actually have to be happy with my own life. I have to take time away from my son and do things for myself, because then I come back to him, and I'm happy, right? Like, I'm the mom I want to be. I'm not this, like, tired, bitter, worn out person that's just looking at my kid and thinking about when I could sleep.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's true. And people will start to kind of resent having kids because of that, because they feel like they missed out on, you know, doing something that they wanted to do. Which is well, yeah, and that's that's when they
1: start to push their dreams on their kids, right? Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, can you give us some examples of good and bad experiences you've had on your writing and business journey over the years?
1: So um, I think my good and bad are, are intertwined, like, it, it has to do, the worst and the best has to do with kind of the business side of things, the publishing side. Um, you mentioned that you also went the indie route. I'm not sure if you tried to go the traditional publishing route or not. So initially, I started out thinking, okay, I'll try this. Um, so I don't know how much people know. I'll just regurgitate quickly. Like When you go the traditional publishing route, you don't actually contact publishers, right? Not at all. You have mm-hmm. to find an agent um, and then if an agent decides to take you on, then they contact the publishers for you. So you basically querying publishing agents. Um, but when you query like a publishing agent, you don't actually send them your book. So every publishing agent um, has kind of their own website and you look at it what they want in the initial query. And some of them don't even want a single page of your book. So they just want you to tell them what the concept of the book is and then they think about it and decide if they even want to see your book, Mm -hmm. which is fine, right? Some of them want three pages. That's it. Um, Some like and some of them want like one or two chapters. Mm -hmm. The problem is so like I, I did this. I sent this out to a couple of agents and some of them didn't respond. I'm not kidding for a year and a half just Mm -hmm. to the original query, I had actually already published my book and then I started getting responses. (laughs) Um, And for me, like that was kind of a negative experience because so some of these publishing agents even stipulate on their website, they're like, we will not accept multiple queries. So you are only allowed to query me and then wait on my response. Mm
0: -hmm. So you're
1: waiting a year and a half for them to even tell you if they want to see your book. Mm -hmm. And like, I know they're busy. I know they're super busy. I know they get a lot of queries, but at the same time, like I said, this is like a one to three page query and you took a year and a half to say, not even, I don't like your book because you've never seen my book to say, I don't think this is cool right now. So I'm not sure I'm interested in the concept. Mm -hmm. It just, it felt really. A little dehumanizing and very disrespectful not just to me but to writers in general it's kind of like our life our time doesn't matter you know like Mm -hmm. it doesn't matter if it takes them two years to read one page from an author Mm -hmm. it it just left a bad taste in my mouth I have to be honest so I kind of dumped that idea and then I went the indie route which I actually really loved um so you probably know, like, in if you just go the indie route, you just write whatever and want to publish it, no bookstore will accept that. So the only place you would be able to sell your book would be Amazon. Um, and yeah. I didn't want that. I wanted it to be available in bookstores. So I did. There's like a handful of sort of um, agencies that bookstores will work with, like publishing agencies, and they will work with indie authors. Um, they and they kind of vet the indie authors. So they tell you, you have to do all this professional editing and they make sure that the book is good. Mm -hmm. Um, And then they sign off on it. Then bookstores will accept it. So I still, I really liked that process. I thought it was, it was really educational, right? Because going through the professional editing, it really helped me improve my writing. It taught me a lot. Um, And doing the business side of things myself did teach me a lot too. Um, Mm -hmm. It was kind of exciting. It was a lot of fun, like to learn the back end of book publishing, to learn how does it end up on actual bookshelf in a bookstore and to have to do that myself. I really liked it. Um, It's like, so now I'm working on my second book. So I'm kind of still thinking about, do I want to approach any agents with this book or not? Mm Because again, you kind of, do I want to wait a year and a half? (laughs) Right. Not Mm -hmm. even, like not even here if they, if they like the writing. Cause for me, if a publishing agent came back to me and said, your writing stinks, you really need to take some courses and improve I would actually love that because that feels productive. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. But when someone comes back a year and a half later and they're like, yeah, I don't feel like doing vampires right now. So I don't want to even look at your book. I just, I feel like I didn't learn anything from them. Mm -hmm. So that was, yeah, it was a little disheartening, but not really in myself. It was more like in the industry, it felt like it wasn't really about the writing. It was just like, what's cool right now? What can we pump out and sell as fast as possible? Mm -hmm. So, but I mean, you know, having an agent at the same time would be great because you wouldn't worry about promotion or anything. Yeah. So, it's, yeah, I'm still thinking about that, <laughs> if to do that next time or not. Because now that I have gone the Indie route and I know what I'm doing too, it it just gets smoother and smoother. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. And I think, you know, when you were saying that gave you a bad taste in your mouth about the barriers, Um. I think it's not, I think people normalize that. Like they, like they'll make excuses like, well, you know, the industry is pretty fast paced. It's like how when you interview for a job and like people just never hear anything. And I mean, I've had people like if I didn't get a job, I've had people offer me back, like, like you were saying, constructive criticism, but 90% of people are not going to do that. You're just not going to hear from them. And so, you know, it's even worse when you've put in all of this time for like some type of manuscript or you know your novel and you have 300 pages just typed out and you're sending this and you're really invested in it and then like you were saying like you don't hear anything for a year that's that's it's very well, disheartening that,
1: but you know at least that would be better than not even being able to send the manuscript right because like I said yeah. they don't want to see your manuscript if they you send your manuscript they will just delete your email they have specifications oh, yeah. like I want a half page description what the book is about that's it Mm -hmm. right so Mm -hmm. like again if if I had sent my manuscript and they said you know what this isn't what we want or even didn't respond at least I would know that it's related to my book true you know at least I would know maybe I need to improve my writing Mm -hmm. but that felt completely unrelated to the book because they didn't even see the book it was kind of Literally, the only input I got from the couple of agents was like, and and then this upset me again because it's like my book is not Twilight because they're like, yeah, it's too early after Twilight. Come back in two years. (laughs) You don't even know the book. Um, But you know, you can't even argue. So it was. It just really felt like it. The industry isn't really related to books.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Definitely.
1: But um, again, I mean, as a disclaimer, I'm sure there's amazing agents, um, mm-hmm. you know, and maybe once you kind of get an agent and get into the like publisher end of things, um, maybe it is an amazing experience. Just the initial kind of start wasn't that amazing for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really preferred going the indie route. And again, like I'm, I'm not sure I'm, I may approach agents again or may not. But it does get smoother once you do it once, the indie route. And then you do build up your audience. So then you're kind of thinking, well, do I really need an agent now? Right. Because right? that that's their job. Their job is to really publicize and get you that following. And if I've already done that myself, then what do I need an agent for? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And on a, on a positive side of that, I,
0: I guess as far as, Collaboration. One of your representatives, and I don't know what what title to really give her, contacted um, me. Kind of me. You know, to set up this interview, and you know, she just seemed really excited and, and having somebody to really go to bat for you in order to you know acquire interviews and, and publicity. Um, what was your process of building a relationship with her? Like, how did you you meet her?
1: Um, Sophia. Fian- I, and I don't know what to call her in relation to me either. She has her own um, marketing company, like her own independent company. Um, she, when I was working for the government, we did an International Women's Day kind of celebration. And I wasn't actually involved in the process of getting guest speakers. That was another lady. And she somehow found Fian um, as this sort of young entrepreneurial business owner. And um, Fian also comes from like an immigrant family. And we were speaking to a lot of immigrant women who were thinking of starting their own businesses. So Mm -hmm. this was kind of perfect. Um, And she was just such an amazing speaker. Like I just, I loved her talk. Um, And I had zero use for her at that time, but I actually wrote down her name and kept it because I was like, one day I'm going to use her for something. She's so cool. (laughs) <laughs> so it was literally over a year later and i contacted her out of the blue and it's like hey i published the book would you like to you know help me with this um and so she like i gave her a copy of the book and she looked into it and she's she's been amazing you know she has all these ideas like she looks at things from different perspectives i love working with her she's great that's awesome
0: and and what other type of, of marketing tools have you found effective? Are you um, active on social media? Do you think that's a
1: good a good tool or? Um, I find social media up and down. You know, so and okay. So going back to the other marketing tools, I it's interesting because like one marketing tool leads to another. I forget what I did. I did some sort of paid promotion, and then somehow. A guy from like a radio station saw it and then he got a copy of the book because he thought it looked really fun and then he loved it and he knew a guy who worked for like CBC, like locally. Mm -hmm. So then he contacted his friend there and then they contacted me. Um, So it's been interesting how like one thing leads to another and you don't actually know what it's going to lead to sometimes. Mm -hmm. So then they ended up doing like a TV interview with me, which I never expected. Um, I wasn't, you know, I just didn't think I could get that, um, social media has been up and down though. I just find it very unpredictable. Like it can be amazing, but Mm -hmm. I'm I'm sure, you know, too. So for example, with Instagram, you have Instagrammers with like a hundred thousand following and they'll do a post or multiple posts about your book and you get nothing out of it. And Mm -hmm. then someone with like a 2000 following will do a post and the sales skyrocket. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, and so you kind of figure things out as you go along. Like, I mean, you figure out that the number of followers doesn't necessarily matter. It's more like you, you look at an Instagrammer's posts and see how much people interact with them. Do people right. comment? Do they answer questions? And then you kind of see if their audience is, I don't want to say authentic, it could be authentic in either case, but really interested in their content. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Um, cause mm-hmm. I, I know we all kind of follow people sometimes that we just scroll through. Yeah. Um, and then, but then there's people we, we follow where we kind of like check out all their posts. Um, mm-hmm. so you do learn to distinguish a little bit, like where it might be good to put your content, but sometimes it's still super unpredictable in a good way. Sometimes, sometimes it's just, I don't want to say a bad way, just a non-existent way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then, um, I think the other issue with social media, it can be great, but it's hard when your audience isn't the same demographic as you. I don't know if you've had that experience. Like my book is a young adult fantasy. So a lot of my audience is like 15 to 17 year old girls. And I am not, right? (laughs) So uh, they're not going to find my social media content interesting. They're not going to follow me. So I... For me, and what Fian's been doing is contacting um, social media influencers who are in that demographic. Because for me to post my own stuff doesn't make sense. Um, but then you get like t- now all the teenagers are on TikTok, and that's just really not for me. <laughs> just, I, I There's nothing wrong with it, but I just, in my life, I don't even have time to make videos. Yeah, it's an quiet
0: taste, I feel like, TikTok. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I just I don't have the time to get into that. And to even yeah. gain enough of a following for it to make sense would mm-hmm. take so long that by that time, I'm guessing a new app will be out. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's, um, I, I think it, social media is great, but it is hard getting to the right people if you aren't in the same exact demographic as the people you want to reach out to, right? Because they're not going to follow you on social media. Mm hmm. Because, yeah, yeah that's I, true. I, I could pretend I am a 15 year old girl, <laughs> but <laughs> I don't good. think it's going to work well. <laughs> <She's> like,
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah. And what you were saying about as far as engagement, you know, equaling followers, it, it's ne- I think I read somewhere that the more followers you have, the the less engagement you have. Um, as far as percentages. So it does make sense when you're saying that somebody with 2,000 as opposed to somebody with like a million followers, the 2,000 is probably going to have more engagement with their followers. They're probably going to know a little bit more about their followers, you Mm -hmm. know, and and have been able to kind of study that audience because it's less of them. But still they're making probably more of an impact than the person with a million (laughs) in all actuality as far as engagement.
1: Yeah. And then, I mean, the truth is, um, you kind of figure out and I'm sure you've done too. What is a realistic number of followers for mm-hmm. what type of Instagrammer? Um, like with books to grammars, I realized that someone has a million followers. It is unrealistic. Um, if you click on their followers, you'll see fake after fake after fake, right. Right, mm-hmm. Or completely inactive followers. Um, with very authentic bookstagrammers the most I've seen where it's it's real honest followers is around a hundred thousand so when someone Mm -hmm. pops up with a million followers I'm like there's something really fishy about that yeah if you're posting just book reviews and you're not a famous personality and you have 10 million followers you know and your account's only a year old (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> Just kind of, yeah, you're like mm, I don't know about this one. Yeah, mm-hmm. and sometimes people
0: pay for those, like they pay for followers, and then, like you said, of course they're like bots; they're not
1: real people, you know.
0: Um, but I have seen yeah. that as well. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, so it's um, it's, I mean, like I said, social media can be amazing, but it is it's a learning process too. Mm -hmm. To try to get the best out of it, and I'm still—I have learned a lot, but I'm still kind of, you know, sometimes randomly getting results. I feel like I'm like, Mm oh, that worked, yay! (laughs) Yeah. um, So so it's it's, that's it. (laughs) Okay.
0: (laughs) So we've seen you on some some heavy, what I would consider heavy hitting media platforms. So like Yahoo, the ones I mentioned in your intro. So what has been your most memorable achievement since publishing your novel series?
1: I don't know. <laughs> 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 um, honestly, I, um, I think publishing it was like an achievement I was proud of to get to that point. Um, Mm -hmm. initially when I first wrote it, I wondered if I even cared about publishing it or not. Mm -hmm. Um, that had been my goal is just to be able to write a book, to get through that whole story that was in my head and get it on paper. Uh, But then I realized it's like, well, what's the point in this? Now I have this, but the point in writing to me is to make an impact on someone to affect someone's life with it. So if I'm just going to write it and throw it in the garbage kind of, Mm -hmm. Um what is the purpose of me writing it? Yeah. I mean some people can say it's just for you, but again, to me, it's like you just told a story. don't you want to tell it to somebody anybody? Mm-hmm. It isn't about the money, it's just sharing that story. The purpose that I like of writing it is to share it mm-hmm. So that was why I kind of published it. I am um, like I do have a full-time job and I'm like I said I'm doing my doctorate so I never expected it to be my main source of income, which is good, because it makes almost no money. (laughs) I mean, Mm -hmm. especially going the indie route, it is like, you're not going to make a lot of money. Um, And you know, when I talk to the publisher, because they're like, well, if you want to make more money per sale, just make the book shorter. And I'm like, well, that's not gonna work. What do you want me to do? Mm -hmm. Um, Because publishing as an indie author, it's more the book gets printed on demand, more or less right? Mm-hmm. Unless every now and then, like Yahoo, or not Yahoo, sorry, um, Amazon will order a bunch of copies. Mm-hmm. So then it's, I guess, like, it's a little cheaper. But when it is being published on demand, like whenever someone orders a book, then it's, it's being printed, yeah. the cost is much more significant than if they're publishing a million copies, at, or sorry, keep mixing up words, if they're printing a million copies at the same time. Mm-hmm. So I'm making very little per copy. Um, mm-hmm. Like it's, it's really i could not live off of this yeah but uh it's fun right i love it like i want to keep doing it um back to my husband i think it's really cool that he's into it too and <laughs> doesn't mind the intense time commitment uh for the result of no money <laughs> in this <laughs> sector but it's your passion
0: though you know you're, you're making impact you know on someone's life with it so i think that that's That's more monumental than than the money side.
1: That's the thing. Like, I Mm -hmm. I love it, right? I really love it. And I mean, again, I don't know if I've accomplished anything. I think an accomplishment in writing would be to have an impact on someone. But Mm -hmm. I think sometimes you don't know. And maybe I'll never know if I did, right? Like, I don't know if you've ever read books, for example, that you really can't get through almost like they're difficult books, they're not that interesting. And you think this isn't that great. But then, like, five years later, you remember pieces of that book. Mm -hmm. And, you know, then you realize, wow, that book actually was really good. Like, it was powerful. It stayed with me. Mm -hmm. And then other books sometimes are so much fun to read, but you ask me a month later what it was about, I seriously remember nothing. (laughs) It had zero impact on my life, even though I, you know, read the book in one day I loved it so much. So Mm -hmm. sometimes it's really hard to predict with writing what's going to impact who, and a lot of the time, it's related to that person's life, right? Like, does that story click with that person's life and past experience? Right. So I might never know if I'm successful, I guess. Yeah.
0: I guess you just kind of have the trust in, because you're not always going to get people, like you said, writing you, telling you. But I mean, it, it, it can happen at when you least expect it. Like Even with this podcast, um, a young lady reached out to me. Who I feel like wouldn't be in my target, you know, demographic um, as broad as it is, um, but she reached out to me and told me how you know one of the episodes really helped her. Like she was in a, a low place, and it really inspired her. And just thank you. And it's something that you aren't expecting but even that one person makes this whole thing worthwhile because like you said I'm not necessarily making money off of it you know it's, <laughs> it's more like just having that impact on somebody and trusting that it's making a difference
1: somewhere somehow you know. Um, yeah that's that, the thing I think um, you have to kind of realize in any job sometimes that you might never visibly be able to see your success or like tangibly touch it but that doesn't mean it's not successful right Mm -hmm. it's and I don't know learn to be okay with that (laughs) kind of love the process and hope for the best I think if you really love what you're doing that's good enough Mm -hmm. yeah so
0: how do you feel that that you've grown over the years as far as your writing like are there any Um, like maybe you had some hindrances at first or apprehensions, but now, you know, when you write another book, you can take, you know, what you've learned into that. So how have you grown over the years in writing?
1: I have actually, um, I've grown a lot. You know, like I said, I went from nonfiction, kind of very almost prescriptive writing to fiction writing, and that was a big jump. So I I mean, the basics, I actually did end up taking um, a bunch of literature courses because I wanted to improve. Um, so I took them in my spare time, like at the university, I, uh, I went through their catalog, like it was like, you know, the literature degree program, and then I called them up and uh, harassed the professor to give me professor permission <laughs> to just take individual courses from that program that fit in with my work schedule. Um, So I did like a fourth year course on specifically how to make fantasy and sci-fi believable, how to avoid like cheesy things, because I'm sure, you know, we've all read really cheesy sci-fi stuff Um, (laughs) or like watched really cheesy sci-fi movies.
0: Yes, Amazon Um, (laughs) Prime.
1: And sometimes they're fun, but uh, I find cheesy works in shows and movies sometimes, Mm -hmm. um, but it never really works in a book. You know. Yeah. Um, and then I took another course on how to self-edit actually, like how to kind of look at your writing and tear it apart. <laughs> mm-hmm. Cause use even if you're using an agent, a publisher, editors, whatever, you still need to do that initially too to get the book to a certain degree of quality, right? Before you give it to an editor. Mm-hmm. Um so like the first, you know, one or two edits, I guess, minimally is a lot of content edit where you're like ripping the book apart and restructuring it and cutting out sections. For me, I cut out a lot. Um, I don't know how you write, but like the first version is always just whatever I think I put it on the paper. Mm -hmm. And then I like, yeah, like I'll wait about a month just to have a fresh mind um, and to look at it as an outsider would kind of not as, you know, me who wrote the story. And then I read it and I, I cut out like half the book. Because, you know, it was just the first version was basically my verbal diarrhea. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And yeah, so that I kind of learned how to do more. Um, I think in terms of like personality, how I improved through all that too. And I think applying to agents is, you know, as much as I said, it wasn't a positive experience. It did help me. I don't know how to explain it to balance my ego and my insecurities. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I I don't know if like other authors feel this way or if it's just me, but I always like overanalyze how I'm feeling because if someone says, I don't want to publish your book, then I'm sitting there thinking, okay, is it because the book sucks and I have zero talent in writing, so I should (laughs) stop writing, you know? Mm Or should it does it just need improvement? I should take more courses. I should practice more. Right. Or does that person just really isn't into my genre or, you know, like they, they just like completely different things or they have bad taste because you mm-hmm. do get people that give you a horrible criticism that makes no sense. And my book is actually really good. But then you're really overanalyzing, or at least I am, because I'm scared that on one hand, I'm being too insecure about my writing. On the other hand, I'm being pompous and like egotistical because I've, I've heard other authors that, you know, let's say they apply to an agent and the agent declined them. I've heard them be like, they just don't know what they're talking about. My book is brilliant. Yeah. And I never want to sound like that. And I never want to think like that. Mm-hmm. so balancing like my ego and then my insecurities has been hard especially when you get criticism it's knowing like okay is this really good criticism do I accept it or do I just let it slide off because this is useless criticism mm-hmm. and with writing and editing sometimes you really don't know yeah you know like with with editing sorry are you still there yeah I'm still here okay um, with editing, I mean, you did a bunch of edits too on your book and Mm -hmm. I found like it's really useful to get it edited by like two to three different editors because Mm -hmm. then if all three of them say, okay, this section sucks, you know, it probably empirically sucks. Yeah. But if one of them says this, this is the best section of the book and the next one says this is the worst section of the book, then I kind of know, okay, you know what? It's really up to me. (laughs) Mm Hmm. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, that's, I mean, that's still hard, but I'm getting better at that. Being able to figure out like, do I take this? Do I not take this?
0: Yeah. Yeah. So,
1: so that, yeah. that's it. That's my growth.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting. It's a, and I'm sure it's inspiring to people that, maybe are trying to get started writing or people that have written something, just hearing about, you know, your growth and, and where you started from to now is important. So do you, do you ever write something and cause I do this. And so I just wanted to ask, <laughs> do you ever write something and initially like hate it at the time or think, you know, this isn't really going to be that good, but then you kind of step away from it. And then come back to it and think, well, this this was really good what I wrote. You know, Um, I do that a lot. And I feel like it's just like over (laughs) self-criticism of my writing because somebody else will read it and they'll like it. But I'm, I'm just thinking like, man, I just really just don't like this. Do you ever have those situations?
1: I do. Definitely. And like another famous author whose name, again, I can't remember, I think said something along the lines of If I Was Waiting. I think it was actually Margaret Atwood. Um, If I waited for perfection, I'd never write a word. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but it's true. I think that's why I'm okay with my first draft being verbal diarrhea. Mm. I don't mind. I just get everything out of my head as stupid as it sounds. Um, Because some, you know, sometimes when I do come back to it a couple of weeks later, I'm like, hey, this doesn't sound as stupid as I thought it would. (laughs) Yeah. But, you know, then you get the polar opposite. Do you ever get that where you think you've just written like the most brilliant conversation Mm-hmm. And then you reread it, and you're like, "Wow, this is really bad." Yes, <laughs> yes, that happens too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's um, I just get it all out, and then I come back to it uh, when when I've distanced myself from it a little bit, and then I can kind of judge it a little better. But um, I've had some pretty good, like friends, and my husband as well, who are actually brutally honest, which I love. Mm-hmm. Um, cause you don't want people to like, you know, when you initially write your very first book, your very first draft, you don't want people who love you just to be like, Oh, you're brilliant. right? <laughs> like, yeah, even when you're writing sucks. Mm-hmm. And, uh, like, I, I have like two really amazing friends that I gave the very, very first draft to, just to tell me like, does this have any potential? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, and actually my husband's comment was the absolute best though. He read it. Right. And he like looked at me and he's like. I hate you for making me do this. I hate romance. I hate vampires. I hate teen fiction. You literally killed me. <laughs> <But> <laughs> okay. He's like, considering I hate all of like the genre that you wrote, everything about it, it's like, I didn't mind this book, which means mm-hmm. I think it has potential. hmm Yeah. <laughs> that's probably the most important critique then it was like it was super useful because he's Mm -hmm. like usually i would want to throw myself out the window reading this type of book but he's like i survived and there were parts i actually enjoyed so he's like i think this is good yeah that's awesome It's like you married me you have to suck it up and read this sorry right. you have to help <laughs> yeah yeah like you know he's a physician so it's like well if you wrote something boring about you know inner body organs I'd read it for you exactly yeah <laughs> but oh so goodness. yeah it's um it's kind of mm-hmm. interesting it's like you want an ego boost but you don't want people who are just boosting your ego Definitely. I would
0: rather know, like you said, like the honest, brutal truth, because I'm I'm pushing this out to the world, and they're going to give me the,
1: the honest, brutal truth, so I'd really know, you know. Yeah, they're going to trash you on Goodreads. Exactly. <laughs> <But> <laughs> so, the worst thing I've ever written. It's yeah. Like, so I but need it, to it's kind of like, um, like America's Got Talent or whatever one of those shows, and you hear, like, you see these people Going up and singing yes. And you're kind of looking At them and listening and wondering Why did no one that loved you ever Tell you you shouldn't be doing exactly. this Exactly <laughs> It makes me think
0: that they're I don't know why they're doing this like, But they, they shouldn't let you come up here And be embarrassed I don't <laughs> know if they just have gotten used To your singing and maybe <laughs> like I don't know But I understand what you're saying Yeah <laughs> So, so, yeah, so where you? Were the, gonna ask the, something. Yeah, I was gonna ask, what's the one thing that you want our audience to, to
1: know about you? You know what, they can decide. <laughs> I um, I don't know, I guess like uh, what we're saying about you don't know if you're gonna impact someone, how you're gonna impact them. Um, I don't know what's important for each person to know. I kind of figure if they listen to this interview, they probably already made up their minds about me to some degree. You know, Mm -hmm. I think we disclose a lot more than we think we disclose through regular conversation. Mm -hmm. So uh, I think they'll figure out what they know about me and if it's useful to them. Yeah. Yeah, that's true.
0: I'm sure it'll be positive, though, because you really inspired me with you know just your story and and things that you my choose. marriage
1: contract the marriage yeah one. yeah that
0: especially that was, <laughs> right out the gate that was the 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 key but yeah
1: I, um, yeah I, mean, I if you want as like succinct statement i um i guess i am a feminist um mm-hmm. so you probably noticed like i am really into keeping um My own personality, like I'm married, I'm a mother, but that doesn't define me. I want to be a person Mm -hmm. um, in my own right, regardless of what I do or, you know, if I have a thousand kids or zero kids, that shouldn't define me as a person, neither Mm -hmm. should marriage. Um, I'm very much into that, more specifically so for women. I think it's important. Um, And the funny thing is, I think it's even more important if you're a mom for me anyways, to not define myself as just a mom. Um, I mean, I have a son, but either way, if you have a son or a daughter, how can I tell them that women can accomplish anything, that women can be anything, if I'm not doing that? You know, mm-hmm. if I'm giving up everything just to be a mom, but then I'm telling my daughter, you can do anything. What does that really mean? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, as selfish as I may seem to some people, there is a reason behind my madness. Yeah.
0: Yeah, it doesn't sound selfish at all. You, you know, in order to pour into other people, you have to pour into yourself, which is why and self-care I, yeah. is so important. So I completely understand that.
1: So maybe that's something to know about me, but something, a piece of advice to give to other women specifically, like you're not selfish for taking care of you. Mm-hmm. Taking care of you actually makes the world around you better. Mm-hmm. Because you're then a better yeah. person who gives back more. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. So Yeah, that's an excellent takeaway.
1: <laughs> excellent takeaway. Be selfish. It's good for you. <laughs> <laughs> oh goodness. Oh. All about phrasing, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> phrasing.
0: Um, so in in wrapping up, how can our
1: listeners find your work? Um, pretty much anywhere. So it's um, some bookstores carried on their shelves. I don't always know which ones, probably mostly in Canada because I am a Canadian author, um, but pretty much any bookstore around the world will have it. If not on their shelves, then in their catalog. Um, so I mean, you can get it through Amazon. That's really easy, but like Barnes and Noble, um, Indigo, whatever, I think Waterstones or Waterhouse. I'm sorry if I'm offending any people from the UK, I think that one of those names is the major bookstore there. Because <laughs> yeah. right, every, every kind of country and continent has their own version of Barnes & Noble slash Indigo. So any one mm-hmm. of those around the world would have it. Okay. But um, unfortunately, it isn't translated into any other languages. So it is only in English.
0: Okay. 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 Well, hopefully everyone took note of that so they can... Um, purchased your series? Is there are there any like websites or
1: social media handles that you want to mention? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I do have a website. It's not used very much. It's it's just there mm-hmm. <laughs> if anybody wants to look at it. Not very exciting. Um, I am on Instagram. Um, it's mtgbooks Books um, seven seven seven. Even like if you Google. Terra Nova. And then I i didn't put my full name as the author. Is there, mm-hmm. is this good? is going to sound a little funny. So, initially, when I published the book, I was like, do I put my name and do I not put my name? And I thought, you know what? If this book really sucks, I don't want to admit that I wrote it. <laughs> oh, <laughs> it was yeah. just, I don't, because I, I was feeling really insecure, right? I was the debut authors. And um, mm-hmm. so I just used MTG. But then, after a while, I was like, once the book came out, I'm like, "This is stupid. I'll just admit it's my book." <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> you know, suck it up. If people hated, they hated. I wrote it. What to do? Mm-hmm. Um, so the website is MTG Books, and the Instagram is MTG Books seven seven seven. Okay. So. Okay, great.
0: Well, is there Bye. anything else that you would want to add, or anything that we missed, or? Something else that you want to
1: share? Not really. Just to say thank you. It's been awesome talking to you. And I think you're a lovely host. This was great. Thank you. And and
0: thanks for coming on. We were really excited about it after reading about your book series and reading a a little bit more about you through some articles. Um, I was super excited to have you on. I think you're, you're our first, you're not our first fiction writer but um the type of the type of characters you have really stood out to me um it was really unique so i'm happy that you agreed to come on today and um for future episodes or even this episode you can follow and subscribe to gifted autonomy on apple and spotify um hoping to soon get it on google podcast but definitely apple and spotify you can find this um, interview later on today uploaded there and don't forget that you can purchase autoscopy my novel online at barnes and noble and then if you want some truly beautiful artwork to line your home or business you can purchase one of my husband larry silvers he's a oil painting artist of course if you guys have been listening to us you've heard him on here um, but you can purchase any of those paintings at silverbrush.net And if there's nothing else, like I said, Marlena, I'm glad that you joined us today. And we'll be signing off for today. So catch us in future episodes. Bye-bye.
1: Bye.